Hi, this is Dale Coing. I'm with my friends Lou Bannock and Jeff Rasmussen. We had a previous episode where we talked about their new book, which is entitled Start It, Grow It, Sell It, The Journey of Business, which is a great field manual. We use that term in the Army, the field manual. You're in the field. How do I do this? Uh, for those that are looking to enter the business world or to grow their small business. In the first conversation we had, we talked about your backgrounds. We talked about the planning process. Uh, now we're going to assume that the planning process is uh, complete, although we know that that's kind of a always, uh, we're always planning, but we're formally now in business and uh, we go from there. So with that being said, why don't we start off with, with Jeff, uh, day one, our shingles out, what, what advice do you have for me? <laughs> well, as you said, you know, we hope we've got, we've got a plan in place and, uh, and, and we start executing that plan. Um, it, Marketing's a big piece of it. You know, knowing your market in, in, in online advertising, they use this term uh, client or customer avatar. What, is, what does that customer look like for you? Because you know, if you don't have revenue, you, know, you have customers, you don't have revenue, you don't have much of a business. You know, if there's no top line, there's definitely no bottom line. So you got to identify that customer avatar and hopefully you did that during the planning process. Now you got to get out there and start talking to them. Um, get them to, interested in your business. Now, understand what their pain point is so that then you can tell them what your solution is for that pain point. You know, in the, in the book, it's, uh, it's a, you know, Nellie and Harvey have created kind of a hybrid business. One of them is a old school fitness center. You kind of think of Rocky Balboa and uh, working out in, in Russia with the, with the big log running through the snow. Um, and then a, a garden plot center where they can grow their own vegetables. So kind of two really diverse things, uh, one seasonal, one not. And uh, they, they're, you know, they've identified pain points, and they said, "Well, here's our solution. You know, you're you're over you're overweight, you're whatever. Here, you come work out in this place, and it's interesting. It's it's not like a cookie cutter gym. It's a cool place to work out, and we put stress on your body in different ways. And then you know, over on the food side, yeah, you don't have to go to the grocery store and buy groceries that you don't know what chemicals are on them. Come here, plant your own, grow your own, cultivate your own, and, and eat what you planted. So um, that that's their target in, in the in the book. So they did their homework." They knew what their customers were looking for. Here's our solution to that. And then they got the message out. And I would, I would add to that, you know, part of that going from working in the business to working on a business where you're growing its revenue, you got to look at that to what Jeff was saying. They, they primarily had, other than the workout facility, they had a seasonal business. And how do you take that seasonal business and then make it a, a year-round business through investments? And that's where we started introducing, you know, the concept of finance. How do you make a, a proper investment? Most people that I've seen in small businesses, what they do, Dale, is they do a cash-on-cash. Cash. You know, I, I spent $100,000. I made 150000 back over five years. Is that a good return? Uh, you know, corporate finance is in, intended to help you with those decisions where you can look at it. Understanding your, your your cost of capital, your your expected hurdle rate on that return, as well as the time value of money that you know you have other opportunities in which you can um, put that money to use. So we introduce those topics in a friendly way and in a, in a very um, easy way to digest. That you, there are tools out there that will help you with these decisions. Now, having having said that, nothing's perfect, right? Um, well, it's pretty funny you bring that up because I do a lot of work at startup companies, yep. uh, consulting, and um, particularly working with engineers is this planning process and the the point where like the project's never done, 
and I always point out that the first Model T didn't have GPS and power windows, right? <laughs> um, so I think it's an important point too, is that as you go from this planning and now you're implementing, is it's never going to be perfect, right? At a certain point, you got to put yourself out there and be vulnerable, but plan. And then you just evolve and it gets better over time and go from there. So kind of tethering to what we talked about in the first session, the planning process, the the, the Business plan is an organic plan that should drift into a strategic plan. And then also what we talk about is the importance of the the mentorship and uh, the board. And you're not, you know, I always say don't do this alone. Go through zone coverage. You've got a, a team here that everyone brings a different perspective, whether it's a CPA, whether it's your attorney, whether it's your investors, leverage that. And, and you know, we do, I think, a really good job of, showing the importance of building your community as you go through a business. And if you do that, and Jeff mentioned earlier in one of the statistics, if you have a mentor, it takes that success rate from 20% to 40% in the first five years. That is absolutely right. And that's what we try to instill in the book here is don't go this, don't go it alone, have its own coverage in terms of your business and keep that planning process going. It changes a little bit. It's no longer a business plan. Now it's a strategic plan. And, and quintessential to running a business is top line. If you don't have top line, you don't have anything. Yeah, and I think the, what a lot of individuals think of when they think of being successful in a business, they would associate the success in the business with a cash flow from current operations. I think you guys do a really good job in your book of pulling that back. I think most people understand the stock market that you don't make a significant amount of wealth on your dividend. You make that money on the appreciation of that underlying stock, right? But yet when you think of small business only, I think most people tend to be like, oh, I'm going to get this cash flow. I'm going to look at the cash flow. But they don't understand that those are mostly lean years. You make your money on the big payday when you actually sell that business, right? Or you're able to replicate in the form of franchise. You yeah. Wanna- it, it, you know, it breaks my heart. Recently, I was, I was looking at through a, a penny saver type um, mag- or newspaper that we get where, we, where I live. And there was an auction listed in there for an auto repair shop. And uh, I was curious what kind of equipment the guy had. And then at the bottom, it said, owner selling due to retirement. And it really broke my heart that this, this guy or gal had started this business, had run it for a number of years, basically only to get a paycheck out of it. You know, they, they didn't create value. Instead, they're getting pennies on the dollar for whatever equipment was in the business that they spent a lot of money to put in. You know, it's, it's five or $6,000 to put a good hoist into a business. So. It, it just, it, it really saddened me that they weren't able to just at least get some kind of money out of it, some value out of it that maybe at least recoup what they put into it, if not more. And that's the whole idea behind starting a business in my mind is, yeah, you're going to, you got a product or a service that's going to help people. You know, there's some altruism in that. But at the end of the day, you want to make money from your investment at the end. And uh, when, the, but if you don't set it up to run that way and never get out of cr- cranking out the sausage yourself, that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I would a lawn mowing business when I was all the way through high school. And it's one of the reasons I went to community college first is I had this this lawn mowing business. And when I left there and went to Lakeland for um, college, I gave my, it was about 40 customers, 45 customers, a little snow shoveling too. And I gave that to my brother who was four years younger. And my personality, my strength was like doing the work, keeping the customers happy, and then like going to introduce yourself to the neighbors. And my next brother was very good at like keeping the current customers happy, but they eventually move or you know pass away. Um, and and so that just naturally 
shrunk. And my youngest brother, who has other attributes outside of business, he's a very, very good welder. He's a great soldier. Um, he doesn't even show up to like mow the lawn. So then it like went away completely. And you can see that value proposition, how it went down and down. But knowing what I know now, I would have drove a, a bargain with uh, my brothers, not just hand off. Because at that point in time, you know, it was about 30000 bucks a year in income, which any landscaping company would have bought that book of business for 30,000. But at the time when you're 18, you don't realize like there's value, not only in mowing that yard, there's value in having that business sold to someone else to mow that yard. And they could probably do it more efficient. And yeah, your book does a really good job of talking about that. The more you think about it from a professional perspective, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we didn't really uh, talk a a lot about in the book, but there's, the the potential when you when you look at selling the business is there's a franchise opportunity here while there's you know this one f- farm uh you know one plot of land uh ultimately that's one of the revenue uh sources potential for someone who buys this so we you know we contemplated that as we we're talking about it ultimately you know a couple of things in here that I, I i guess i would share one is you know we talk a lot about adult supervision i mean the balance sheet doesn't turn back the cash unless the, the there are processes in place and someone actually works to take that investment into inventory, collect that receivable. So you know you got to have adult supervision, and you got to shift from being management, which is really an activities based thing around again what I said earlier, uh, really the working capital to the leader, and and that's that's an important part of a business's journey. How does that leader? pull the rest of the team along with them, develop them. So there is, as you go from building the business, uh, uh, growing the business to selling the business, that there aren't any distractions. There aren't any dollars being taken off the table when you hit the end. It could be efficiencies, you know, in terms of how do we improve some of the efficiencies in the operation. It could be the quality of the financial statements. You know, do we have compilations still or do we have – um, you know, reviewed or audits. Uh, there's so many things you can do over a life of a business if you approach it from a professional way. Now, this is this is a perfect world that we you know presented here, but it's also reality. I mean, there's steps yeah, you can. So let me take. talk about the perfect world and give you a hard time here. Yeah, that's fine. So, as someone who works with startups, my relationship with banks is where you're coming from. The banks um, is that. Banks don't even want to work with these companies. They're they're too small. Um, sure, you could sign a private, you know, home equity loan to that extent, but in, in the world of banking that you're in, and I know it's not all the banks' fault. There's federal regulations and FDIC and Dodd Frank. Um, is is this a fair conversation to have um, as a banker who probably wouldn't be able to finance a lot of these startup companies, or is this um, a larger look in business from all different financing perspectives? So uh, one size doesn't fit all. Uh, there are certain businesses, I, I, as I said earlier, that if you put more capital down, I think banks would be interested. I think the bank we were with yesterday, uh, they have that mentality that they've got to be part of the, the incubation that, you know, bring a little more capital to the table and we'll help you. Uh, we're probably going to have a personal guarantee behind that or we leverage some of the SBA stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um so that's really in the early start of, uh, startup phase. Uh, most banks that I know will will play a role in this, but not a, a significant role, to your point. As the business matures and grows, uh, where you, you have that sustainable uh, profitability, 
It's not overly leveraged. Banks do get involved in it, and it lowers the cost of capital for that that company because they're able to, you know, particularly for uh, timing differences, maybe have a line of credit to, to to pay and pay vendors and buy inventory and those sort of things. So I think it's a fair point, Dale, that um, the early phase of business is really meant to be. Uh, more equity and capital, but banks do play a role in that, again, and through some of the uh, governmental programs. And it's motivation to get to a bank. Like, let's get to a point. Jeff, would you, I mean, I'm assuming, um, did you start your business with bank loans or was it all personal friends and family? Or? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, it was an existing business um, that I purchased. So you know, he, had, he had the real estate, so I had the real estate I could, I could lend, uh, borrow against. Uh, I, had, I had some of my own financing that I was able to pull together. Um, so we had, mine was about 50-50. In the book uh, with Harvey and Nellie, um, they're about 60% equity, 40% debt. And so we, there's some reality in that because, again, they had a big chunk of real estate that, you know, that was good collateral for the bank. But the rest of it, they, you know, Harvey and Nellie, they have, they have uh, investors in there. So, yeah, your point's well taken that if there's not something there for the bank to sink their teeth into, you're probably going to pretty much be right. a pure equity deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the really great business books I, and it's more than a business book that I enjoy is Startup Nation. Have you ever read that book? No, I, I've heard about it about uh, yeah, it's two great. or three weeks ago. There's yeah. a great quote in there. And it, and it, America's pretty good on the entrepreneurship level, but Israel's off the charts. And one of the quotes in the book as far as why that's a lot, I mean, number one reason they give is because there's compulsory military service. And not only compulsory military service, but most of them are actually engaged in some sort of combat by the nature of Israel and their current situation and past situation. Um, the second reason that there's more entrepreneurship is the mentality and the culture. And here in America, if you've gone bankrupt, you're suspect, not to be trusted, not to stain on your record. And in Israel, if you haven't gone bankrupt, you haven't learned a thing. You have more to learn. You know, it's like kind of like a college degree. Like you know, you you you've learned something. You got it. That's good. Now you've been through that. So, it the the process of starting a business is very nerve wracking. Um, I think you guys have done a great job in your book of taking that and making it less nerve wracking. Um, things to consider. It's not for everyone, but let's leave. Uh, I just want both your thoughts on. You have a little uh, something to say to someone who's going to th- consider going into the business world. What would be your your two minute elevator pitch for that individual you've done it so yeah well, for, first. for me it, it's the, the two most important things are a good plan and do not be undercapitalized um, I've, I've, I've worked for a company that declined some important capital because the owner didn't want to give up too much ownership um, this was in Cedar Rapids Iowa in 2008 we had a 500 year flood they couldn't survive it because they couldn't go into work couldn't generate cash couldn't pay bills didn't, have, was, enough, didn't yeah, have enough to get through it. So, yeah, I've seen on my end too is like then yeah. your 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 focus as a company is also misdirected into enhancing your product, taking care of customers, uh, taking care of employees, and all of a sudden it becomes an all-encompassing battle to, to secure capital. Yep, right? Absolutely. So that's awesome, Lou. Yeah, I would say you know it all starts with taking care of yourself. If if you're not healthy and you're in a good spot in terms of uh, how you're thinking. Um, I, I think that you're going to struggle because business wears you down, right? And then the, the natural part of that, the next comment is don't go it alone, right? Uh, I think that can be both in terms of investment investors. Uh, and as, as I said earlier, that investor is bringing cash. 
But I, I think the investor brings more than cash. They they help you think through the different phases of the business where you'll make the next investment. So it's really that communication that's critical with the investor and how you scale this. And that's why I say don't go it alone. And then secondly, um, your advisors. You know, it, companies often wait until they get three, four, five years into you know, getting a good CPA or a good business attorney, you pick your team, pick your team so you have zone coverage and you're not doing this by yourself because it's taxing, it'll wear you down, and it's nice. I mean, so a real-life example is Jeff and I, right? I tried going this alone by myself, and I wrote for about three years and or two and a half years, and I said, it's wonderful because I bring the bank perspective, but, you know, to really make this pop – I need the entrepreneur's perspective. And I was getting burned out, you know, through the writing process. And and Jeff and I sat down about 13, 14 months ago, and I said, you're the right guy. Um, You know, it's one of the things that I learned I was going through this writing process. You don't go it alone, right? Mm -hmm. Pulled him into it and said, Jeff, you know, what do you think about this? And he goes, there's a lot here. This would be great. And we spent a day kind of ripping apart. And and what you see in front of you is a product that we're both, both very proud of. But also... We're not hypocrites. I mean, what I just said is what, I, you know, to you and to the audience is, is what I did with Jeff. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, um, I don't think people realize this, but 98% of books don't make money. Um, and I don't think you guys entered into this journey together to make money. My sense, in, and I've I known Lou longer than I've known Jeff, um, is that you've done this out of a sense of giving back and caring and you truly believe that and you've seen that business growth and business formation is good for that person's family, it's good for them individually, it's good for our community, it's good for our country. So I want to thank you guys for the work you've done in this book and all the people that are going to benefit from your uh, your labor here. So good luck to you and stay in touch as uh, things progress and we'll be looking for a uh, Instead of start it, grow up, sell it, uh, start it, grow into it, sell it again and again, right? <laughs> not, not a journey you do want, you do it again and again. Yeah. So thanks, guys, and I uh, wish you good, good luck with the book. Thanks, Dale. Appreciate it, Dale. Appreciate it, Dale.